This is a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters for week ending November 18 to 22. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, highlights include our chat with um, Becky Orpen, who um, has written the book Take Heart, Take Action. And also, we had a bit of a chat about B grade movies, holiday movies. Mm. They're coming up, it's Christmas time. Get amongst it. And also we had the great pleasure of chatting to Zara and Flynn about their show happening at the Jew West Arts Festival, Children of the Evolution. It's always good to see John Safran, former Breakfaster. We chatted to him about his new podcast, John Safran versus the Occult. We also chatted sickies, how to get them, what to do with them. Uh, because Sarah was away uh, having injured herself. And we had Michelle Bennett in with a book review uh, talking about Permanent Record by traitor, hero, Edward Snowden, now author. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Familiar to Triple R listeners, Becky Orpen is a creative practitioner whose work occupies a space between illustration, design and craft, and whose new children's book, Take Heart, Take Action, touches on how to have a positive influence on the world. Becky joins us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hello. Um, The book consists of 20 conversation starters. Can you describe how the idea came about? Um, Well, actually, uh, a post-election, I was feeling a little disheartened and a bit frustrated and didn't quite know what to do and then um like it was literally on the Sunday night and I just sort of made this graphic to put on my Instagram account which had I just sort of thought regardless of who's in power there's still a lot of things that you can do to make yourself feel like you have some control like on a you know a daily basis and so I made this sort of graphic and that graphic weirdly went viral and had 11,000 reposts or something and so that was um I guess the start of it and then I was had just finished two books with Hachette and then my editor called me like on the Monday and said, let's make a book. You have to do it in a week. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so, yeah, just sort of. But, it, I mean, it wasn't too hard because, you know, I'd kind of established everything. And, um, yeah, so mm. we made the book. And your your mother was a bit of a world changer, wasn't she? She still is, yeah. She's definitely, she's ran in the state, uh, state and federal elections. Um, and I, I kind of grew up sort of demonstrating in the streets and, um you know, had a fairly alternative upbringing. So, yeah, it sort of pardon me. But, you know, to be honest, I absolutely rejected that. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm not political. You know, that's not me. I'm like totally forget about that stuff. And so it's only been, I guess, in the more recent years where it's come out regardless of whether I like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk to us about, sorry. No. When you um, made the post yeah. had, and, you, and you got it out there, did it did it help relieve the, the it, pain somewhat? You know, what, the amount of comments and the amount of reposts and the amount of people sort of saying, oh, we really needed this, that, that helped me feel like I wasn't alone in my frustration and, and that other people were thinking the same way. So th- that definitely helped me relieve feeling like other, other people were had giving On other the people some boat. hope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so that, that was a nice thing. Yeah. And, and is the idea that – so this is kind of like a picture book with these, these bold statements on it. Yes. Uh, is the idea that you kind of read this to a child and then you take one of those and you yeah. extend that out into a kind of conversation yes. with them? So there's kind of a glossary at the back. So it gives you – taking each point and, and having starting points of like, oh, do you know what composting is and what this is why composting is good and how can you compost? Or, um, But, you know, I, I want – the graphic was designed for everyone and I would say the book is designed for everyone too. Okay. Yes, it looks like a children's book because it's bold and um, has very simple statements on it. But, you know, it's daily reminders for everybody really um, that there's lots of things that you can do regardless of – of you know uh what not what the government says but you know yeah. there's daily small small things that you can actually do to to live in a certain mm. way that you'd like yeah are there any daily reminders that you yourself struggle sometimes to live up to <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> lots of them and i don't think it is about can you know having to do all of the every single thing in every book you know that i stay in the book it's it's just having um, conscious thoughts that that those are things that you can do, and if you can do some of them, unreal. And you know that that's anything that you can do that that helps live in a more positive way is going to help. So it's not a hard and fast rules at all. It's more just kind of suggestions of things that you can do. But yes, definitely. Um, yeah, there's heaps in there. Oh, give us one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's one that says consume less, 
and uh. you know that's a hard. I, I like shopping. Yes. Um, so I just try and shop in it, in, you know, buy from my friends or buy local, you know, or buy vintage or, you know, sort of consciously consume, I guess. So. Mm. I've heard that one yeah. of your um, special talents is buying good presents. Oh, my God. Yes, it is. You are so well researched. Thank yes. you. <laughs> Who told you that? I've done, I've done my research, oh, Nate. I've asked yeah. around. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do like What's the presents. secret to buying a good present? Uh, think outside the box. Okay. Yeah, and experiences. I'm all about experiences now, buying experiences for people. That's oh, my favourite yeah, kind of present. Right? Yeah, mm. and it's also good, can be good for the environment. Yes, mm. I didn't think of it. That's mm. another bonus. Yeah. Yes, yes, but you're not actually giving a thing. Yeah. And why why are you uh, reluctant to claim the moniker artist? Oh, that's a great question. I love that question. I don't feel – so I run a commercial design studio. That's what I do. And, and I love running a commercial design studio. And I feel like there's a definite thing between running a commercial di- design studio and being claiming as an artist. And, and um, I just think what I do is for everybody and I want it to be – whereas sometimes – Oh, God, this is a really hard situation. I've already got myself in trouble. But um, uh, I just like commercial design and I like my things to be commercial and I've got no qualms with that. Do you know what I mean? And I I like the um, accessibility and I want it to be for everyone and sometimes art isn't, you know, like even though it claims to be. And, um, yeah, and I'm – I don't know, is that enough? I don't know. (laughs) It's a good 20-minute conversation (laughs) longer, yeah. Um, But, no, I definitely call myself a designer, but... Yeah, for that reason. Is that almost preempting people? Yeah. Who well, might say to you, oh, you're not an artist. No, it is, I guess. But I, I just, design's my thing. I didn't study fine art, like, on purpose. Like, right. I'm not cerebral enough. I'm not smart enough to be an artist. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, I didn't study fine art. I, I just, I studied design and that's what I love. I love the pra- practicality and the um, pragmatic nature around design and, you know, getting messages across and really easily. So, mm. Yeah. And the website's five years in the making. Oh, my website. Yeah. I know, because I'm really lazy. Is that it? Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? Is that is that truly the only oh, reason? Not just, meticulous, no, just lazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I, just, um, I just couldn't be bothered and... I wanted it to be. <laughs> I wanted it to be right. I wanted it to be right, and then you know I worked with Susie from a friend of mine's studio who was an absolute gem, and I just said, look, I just want it to look like the inside of my brain, and so I described the inside of my brain as best as possible, and she absolutely made it work. It's a wonderful oh, website. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I really love it. I yeah. found all the oh, pet well rocks. Done. Thank well you. Done. <laughs> it's a really fun, you know, interactive thing. And yeah, I'd recommend finding the pet rocks and the Thank bonus you. surprise that you get at the end. What's, yeah. oh, the, yes. what's the web address? Uh, it's just beckyorpen.com. Cool. Yeah. Mm. People can mm. have a look. Yeah, and, have a look. and just quickly, your, mm. do you, because you fit out cafes as well. Oh, well, not, not technically. Like, I just have a husband who's a mad hospitality. So he owns Beatbox Kitchen and Taco Trucks. So I get design food trucks, which is very fun. Mm. And then we have Juanita Peaches. Um, and we have, oh, this is a great plug. Thanks, guys. And, then we have, <laughs> and Beatbox Kitchen on Sydney Road. Yeah. <laughs> also at Meredith every year. Yeah, at Meredith and Golden Plains, yeah. So, um, I They've just put up with me at 2am oh. so many times. They're, they're your, your their favourite time for customers. Oh, really? <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so I get to have a hand in, in doing that, which is really fun. Yeah. So you work pretty closely together. Is that, oh, yep. is that all right? Yes, we do. <laughs> 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 you know, we, we share an office. Yeah, and, right. And, you know, a house and we're together 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. We really love each other. <laughs> he's sitting in the corner. Yeah, right? no, he's listening now. <laughs> Hi, baby. Hey. Yeah. Um, and be, beyond this book, is there anything we should uh, be on the lookout to oh. uh, consume your artwork? Of course, yes. the Triple R Radiothon yes, Radio design was all yours. I did. Oh, Very yeah, of course. Fun this year. Yeah, it was a great honour. I felt like I've made it in Melbourne now oh. like, to have designed the Triple you know, Radiothon artwork. Um, I've got another two books, a little board books for little kids that are through Hachette, um, which are out. And then I've got, you know, four craft books, which are probably around somewhere. Cool. Lots of things. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll see your husband later on today, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Again. I'll go and see him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Take Heart, Take Action is out now through Hachette. And we've been speaking to its creator, Becky Orpen. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much, guys. Triple R. Uh, 
Well, we're tickled pink to have Michelle Bennett back reviewing books. Hi, Michelle. Hello. It's lovely to be back. Thank you for welcoming me in the door and not barring it because I hadn't been delivering the goods for the last couple of months. It's lovely to be back in the studio. It's lovely to see your face. Mm. Um, So this morning we're going to be talking about Edward Snowden. And in 2013, Edward Snowden shocked the world when he revealed that the US government um, was secretly looking to kind of hoover up everyone's personal information and collect every single phone call, text message and email. And the result would be an unprecedented system of mass surveillance with the ability to look at the private lives of every single person on earth. And six years later, um, Edward Snowden has written his autobiography to reveal how he helped to um, not only build that system and build some of the platforms that made that kind of mass data collection possible, um, but he, in this book, reveals why he eventually exposed it. Permanent Record is the name of the book, and it charts Snowden's beginnings on the internet. From the age of a, no, it's the age of twelve, I think it was. Um, he became obsessed with using uh, the dial-up internet access that you know um, that we all had at that time, where it yes. took about forty-five minutes to get on online. Um, and he writes that the internet was beautiful then because it was just full of kind of geeks and nerds who really desperately wanted to be there and it was kind of way before um, governments and business tried to monetize it and tried to, you know, mine it for every sort of piece possible. He was um, also 12 when he built his first computer with the advice of scientists online who had no idea how old he was. And I did find this part really interesting. He writes about how... um, he really loves the fact that you could have been completely anonymous online and you were completely anonymous online. You didn't know who you were talking to right around the world. And it's a, it's a very – I find it – I found that a bit hard sort of gelling with how kind of terrible it can be that people yeah. can be anonymous online now. But he writes about it as a sort of utopia that you could do things wrong but then you could do things better the next day kind of thing. So it's, I found that a really fascinating part of this book. Um but uh, it's 9-11, though, is where Snowden's story really begins. Um, in the aftermath of it, he enlists to fight al-Qaeda, so he actually tried to go into the military and he looks to use his computer skills um, to serve his country. And like so many of his peers who eventually did serve their country, he worked as a um, contractor to the US government. And this is a really big point for him. He's really astounded by the privatisation of the US government, the fact that people who weren't beholden or didn't really need to be loyal to US citizens um, had kind of unbelievable access to American citizens' private information. He kind of writes that, you know, it would be absolutely unheard of for a bank or even a social media company to allow that sort of access to people's um, private data by just, by just you know, people who are just paid to do a job. And it was only when he moved to actually work for the government in the NSA, the National Security Agency, so he moved from being kind of employed by private businesses to actually being a government employer that he had to swear allegiance to the US Constitution. And he reads the Constitution. Apparently he reads it every year. Oh, my God. And the Fourth Amendment of that Constitution says that people have a right to be secure in their persons, houses, papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. And obviously this is written, you know, way back and he takes it to go, well, papers now are your computer. It's the cloud. It's everything that you upload and download. It's, you know... So he kind of starts to think about how in the wake of, you know, in the two decades since 9-11, that people's constitutional protections and and the safeguards around people's privacy are just completely dismantled. He's in Japan when he reads a really crucial um, document that sort of changes the way he saw what the government was doing when he finds um, a classified version, classified which means there's stuff, you know, taken out of it, um, of the president's surveillance program, which was authorised by George W. Bush in the wake of 9-11. Um, and he was, and that, that kind of piece of legislation ended up going to, being tested in court and found to be, you know, unconstitutional and illegal. 
Um, but when he reads that, that's when he kind of makes the decision to eventually, and it still takes a couple of years, find the unclassified version of that because he really wants to know what's going on. Uh-huh. And there's also been, a, at that time, there's been a whole lot of um, revelations that China is spying on all of its citizens and he starts to think if China's doing that, there's no doubt that America's doing that as well. So he sort of eventually starts kind of searching out for stuff. And there are three parts to this book. Um, for me, I probably could have missed the first and the second part, which um, which deals with his kind of education and his 12-year-old geek dial-up stuff. And, and also he um, writes a lot about uh, how he went about getting security um, security classification. Like he, you had to have all these levels so he could have kind of the highest security clearance so he could, you know, look everywhere. Um but those kind of parts, they do set the scene that he comes from a really deeply um, patriotic family. He's the son of a Coast Guard officer and the grandson of a Coast Guard admiral. Admiral, and his, um, you know, his mum works in the public service. He, his, you know, his family really loves the US and mm. is very patriotic. Um, but part three is the real edge of the seat stuff. And I don't know if you, has anyone seen Citizen Four? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Brilliant. So part three is basically Citizen Four, the documentary that um, Laura Poitras made. And this is the part where he details how he went about collecting the information, which, you know, which sounds kind of like, yeah, you just collected the information. Like it's terrifying, like hearing him kind of, you know, watch the bars kind of creep up as he's Ooh. trying to copy all of this stuff. <gasps> Um, and it, you know, and it deals with him trying to make contact with journalists, which I found really fascinating because he has to, you know, he just has to try and be, you know, totally off the grid and anonymous, and you know, it doesn't necessarily find it easy getting journalists to even meet him because they don't know who he is and that sort of stuff. But so that yeah, part three deals with him eventually um, leaking the information to Laura Poitras and Glenn Greenwald. Um, uh, who are both journalists that I really admire and read a lot of. Um, Do you still have his Rubik's Cube? He still has his Rubik's Cube. Really? still talks about it heaps. So he used to use the Rubik's Cube as a distraction because he would get nervous and he would worry that he was literally walking out with kind of classified information and that he would sweat and stuff. So he used the Rubik's Cube as a distraction. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, when he walked through kind of out, out of the NSA. Just to look casual. <laughs> casual. Yeah. I mean, it's, computer you know, we don't think of it at yeah. the time, but, you know. Um, but Snowden, he literally just thought what the government was doing was wrong. Um, on privacy, he writes that saying you don't care about privacy because you have um, nothing to hide is no difference from saying you don't care about freedom of speech because you have nothing to say. And he writes that his greatest regret was his own reflexive, unquestioning support for the war on terror and the resulting um, secret policies and secret laws and secret wars that ended up being played out and, and are still played out today, mm-hmm. post 9 11. Um, in 2015, and I think this is the answer to whether or not you think what he did was right or wrong, he did, it did change things. So in 2015, um, Congress passed the Freedom Act, which prohibited the bulk collection of uh, the phone records of US citizens, and that addresses one of Snowden's, you know, big concerns. And Obama, who absolutely resisted every effort to rein in mass surveillance, was eventually kind of after Snowden's drop sort of forced to recognise that there needed to be a public debate on mass surveillance. And I couldn't help but think when I was reading this book that um, everyone in Australia should be watching what happens with the Department of Home Affairs here who are at this very day trying to kind of implement laws around mass surveillance and facial recognition laws that would affect every single person's privacy Mm. in Australia. And Australia certainly gets a mention in the book too because um, obviously we're a member of the Five Eyes, which is the intelligence alliance comprising of um, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK and the US. And we also get a mention for our really draconian metadata laws, which are much heavier and more sweeping than even other democracies like like-minded democracies mm. so the book is permanent record um and i guess it's a book for anyone who 
kind of doesn't want to live in a world where you're constantly watched all of the time. Mm. What about the the colour of being in, in the intelligence community? And was he posted to Geneva? And yeah, he was in Geneva. He was in Japan. He was in Hawaii. You mm. know, it was where he made all lots of big decisions in Hawaii and stuff. And it's funny. I I don't always read reviews for books that I'm reviewing as well, but I did at this time because I was interested to see what, like being in Australia, I was interested to see what the criticism of it would have been in the US. Um, and But what I found interesting was like so many reviews, and I don't know who's writing them, were that it was, you know, at parts funny, this book. I didn't find this book funny at all. Oh, huh. <laughs> but he does, he has a way with things. There's a, there's a particular scene where um, he doesn't use a credit card, right? He's never used a credit card. Like, so he's always been a bit, you know, I mean, you would say he would be in like conspiracy theory sort mm. of thing, but he always hated the idea of being tracked. And him and his partner, Lindsay Mills, who's now in Russia with him and married, um, they go to buy white goods. And it was the first time he saw, um, and it was probably the first time this was ever made, a fridge with the internet on it, with the screen. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he, it's kind of stops him in his tracks. And, it, and it's, it's, I'm sure it's not just that, but he does talk about that. Like he starts to go into this deep depression about what all of this stuff means when he looks at this fridge and goes, I know exactly how that data is going to be used. It's going to be <gasps> d- used to track, you know, how often you open the fridge, but what you're eating and the calories you're consuming. And it'll all be packaged up and sent back to a private company and then it'll be sold to, you know. And so he kind of becomes obsessed about how the world is moving and that no one's asking questions about it no one's sort of stopping to take stock on you know sure I mean he loves technology and so embraces it but I think just wants people to stop and think about what it actually Mm. means so yeah but ignorance is bliss totally (laughs) honestly and I mean he writes in the end that you know there are two things that everyone in the world who is online does and that's watch porn and upload photos of your family and friends on the cloud and it's like that's just what everyone does. Like everyone, like I, it's, all of my stuff is on the cloud now. Yeah, you know, and those two are separate, everything. aren't they? They are separate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally I separate. You know, I, I, I didn't think you were just about to say. Anyway, because no, you were like, because oh, that's what I. No. Anyway. <laughs> The cloud. The photos. cloud. Photos. Photos. Yes. What is the cloud? Yes. All right. Uh, anyway, it's, it's good. It is patchy, I would say. Okay. And ultimately, you know, he is a computer nerd that writes a book, so it's kind of not surprising. But if you if you love what he did or you're at least interested in how this has changed the world, yeah. you know, it's, it's an important read. historical document. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Permanent Record by Edward Snowden out through Pam McMillan. Thanks so much, Michelle. See you next time. Lovely to have you back. Melbourne's own Triple R. I told um, I told Nat Harris that Tristan was um, Jonathan, Jonathan's younger brother last night. Do I you know. This? Yeah, I heard the story. I convinced Nat Harris that um, Jonathan Nelly and, and Tristan were brothers. Oh yeah. Um, and because they were standing talking to one another, and Jez just came up with this uh, elaborate backstory about how Tristan. Had had Jonathan had Trist, had guided Tristan as a young lad into yeah. listening to Triple R because he was like ten years older and yeah. they grew up in Wangaratta. But you know, by the time Tristan got to high school, Jonathan had already left and moved to Melbourne to go to university. And and Tristan got to go and stay when he was in year ten. Then he got to go and stay with his brother, and that's when he first heard Triple R. And, and Nat absorbed all of this <laughs> <She> unthinkingly. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Anyway, it was all it was all, it was lies. all lies. <laughs> yeah, but it was a fun lie. It was a fun lie. I got uh, really sucked in for a while. Then I felt creepy that neither Tristan nor Jonathan knew that we were... They do now. Yeah. <laughs> Morning, Morning, boys. boys. Listening. Fellas. Uh, now, tell me, is it too early to start watching Christmas movies? Never. I vote no. Yep. No, go for Watch it. Watch Christmas movies. Give me a mum for Christmas any day of the year. Olivia Newton-John's finest hour. Oh. Playing a mannequin that becomes a mum. Oh. Yes. To an orphan. Not yep. an orphan, but a child without a mum. Anyway. That needs a mum. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I have to go back and watch that. Netflix has released a, a new film um, called, and this is one of their, their own produced ones, called Holiday in the Wild that um, Kath and I watched the other night. And, who oh boy, it is um, your classic Christmas film in that it's a little bit shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you have to, but you got to go into it knowing that. And yes. it's, like, it started and I am doing some heavy duty eye rolling right at the start and Kath's like is it is it bad i'm like yes it's bad and she goes yeah but is it 
too bad that we have to turn it off or is it still bad enough for us to enjoy? It's a real fine line with those films. Yeah, because you're like, is this so bad that it's just unwatchable? Yeah. We decided we'd stick with and it's 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 okay to watch. Okay. Uh, it's not too bad, but there are some, oh, come on. Wow. Come on. I mean, I saw The Holiday with Jack Black, Cameron Diaz. Oh, I remember Kate seeing that Winslet. film. Did you like that? No. Yeah. I'm surprised you saw it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was like, how dare you? Yeah. You all know this is crap. What are yeah. you, why have you wasted my time? I yeah. agree. I can't believe you. I can't believe you saw that, though, and went, I don't really want to see that film. Well, exactly. Well, I mean, Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jack Black, who's the other but bloke the, in the it? the plot line. So yeah, but all those yeah, characters, yeah, yeah. That... Two girls from different countries swap homes for the holidays to get away from their relationship issues. Yeah, uh, but Nancy Myers as well, written by Nancy Myers. Yeah. Uh, it's all the stars were supposed to align mm. and everyone just phoned it in. You know who's missing from it? Adam Sandler. That's <coughs> If he was in there, then you'd <laughs> know what you were getting yourself in for. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. He should have taken Jude Law. Love Jude Law. Jude Law hasn't done a good thing in a while. Yeah. Well, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie though, <clears throat> it has um, uh, the fourth one from Sex in the City. Chris, um, the fourth one. Which one do you classify as the fourth one? <laughs> Kristen. Or, yeah, yeah, the one with the dark hair. Oh, Kristen. She would yeah. be the fourth one, wouldn't she? Who'd be the third one? Um, yeah, Miranda. Miranda. Yeah. Yeah. And then Samantha second would be Kim. And yeah, and then Karen. number one, Carrie. Yeah. Good. I've yeah. never thought about it, but that's. Good description. And Rob Rob Lowe's in it as well. Oh, yeah. So here's some funny things that happen. Sorry for spoilers, but actually not too bad. It's like it's one of those movies where um, halfway through you find out that she's a vet and it's like, oh, I kind of feel that that, like, why hasn't that been mentioned yet? Just mm. what an optimal time when there's, you know. Do you know why? But it's like a rider quit halfway through and they brought a new one and they went, <laughs> yeah. let's just make her a vet. You're mm. a vet. But it's a, she ends up in, um, it's kind of mostly set in, in Zambia at an elephant sanctuary. Um, and this Rob Lowe character <laughs> is like. <laughs> and hilarity ensues. Yeah. He's like a, um, there's parts where it's like, oh my gosh, he's so Indiana Jones and so Crocodile Dundee at the same time as well like puts on a big akubra hat and he's like a helicopter pilot like so he's flying over the african savannah with her and then and he's just full of all these cliche lines and it's just like oh man you're like a walking inspirational quote book mm. you know there's one part where he's flying over this but he goes you know some people say that uh the buffalo is one of the most dangerous animals but mm-hmm. they're not she goes what is? And he goes, we are. What? Oh, yuck. Yuck. You're better than this, Rob Lowe. Yeah. <laughs> but he's great. It's whatever. And it's fun. But there's what, because she's a vet, obviously, you know, she gets some, she's just there on holidays and then there's elephants that are sick. And of course, oh, hello, I can help out here. Mm. Um, but she's, she gets it. Once she's got a stethoscope and then she's just, she puts it on the baby elephant's head and it's like, oh, no, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you listening to its brain? Why would you put – what are you going to hear there? Because it can't – maybe it can't get to its – she can't get to its belly. Ugh. Yeah. Maybe no, the... she just went on the top of the head. And I feel went, like oh, that, that there was one like person right. on set who should have gone, uh, yeah. fourth, I... fourth woman from Sex and the City. That's <laughs> yeah. not where the heart is. It sounds like, the yeah, the veterinary – um, what what do they have? The consultant or whatever was homesick with the parasite. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, I wonder whether paleontologists ever looked at friends and just thought Ross is not oh. one of us. Uh, he's not representative. He's- Interestingly enough, I think that people have just looked at friends ever since and thought that about. All of it. That, yeah, all of it. And mm. also his character. But that's a really good point. Yeah. I never, even even though I had no idea what paleontology was or what it would involve, even even in my total ignorance, I knew Ross was total garbage as... As a... As a character as a person. A, as, a, as, a, as an alleged paleontologist. Mm. Oh, yeah. I was like, shame on New York University for hiring Ross Geller. Yeah. I always felt that why... I just couldn't get over the fact that that was meant to be the nerdiest job in the whole thing. I was like, the guy's a paleontologist. It's like the coolest job anyone could ever have yeah. at New York University. Mm. How was he the nerd of the show? Yeah. 
Look, it just kind of blows my mind. This is a paleontologist at, at university. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty nerdy, it's pretty nerdy. Mate. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. <laughs> dinosaurs. I used to love reading all the articles uh, when ER first came out oh. about people going, you know, doctors, oh, that that doesn't exist, that term doesn't exist, and this, you would definitely wouldn't do that, and you wouldn't be doing CPR like that, and these doctors don't know what they're doing. I'm like, yeah, but it's fun and entertaining. <laughs> yeah. It is. Do you think that one, what's the one where um, the guy only, oh, my God, he's got a walking cane? And he House. Made a, house. Yeah. So, like, are they based on real stories? So, there are all these people out there who cover infectious diseases who are mm. like, as if you'd walk in, you know, and in 24 hours just diagnose someone with some rare infectious disease. Yeah, but he's a genius. It's house. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Is there a genius in the world this is based on? I always think this is about how. I could probably Google it, couldn't I? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I I think it, they rely on stuff that's going on yeah. in the world. That's why people enjoy watching The Good Wife or... Uh, or the Good Fight, yeah, or Law and Order, when it's plucked from the headlines, and then yeah, House took real life diseases. But I don't know. If, I, I mean, I, the only thing I liked about House was there's a bloke from Neighbours on it. Oh my god, Jesse! Yeah, I had such a crush on Jesse. Yeah, I'm like, I forgot about that. Mm. It's like, and all I could do, I couldn't focus on the diseases. It was like, hasn't he done well? <laughs> <laughs> Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Now in its second year, the Due West Arts Festival is a celebration of local stories and community spirit inspired by the artists and culture of Melbourne's West. Held across Footscray and Surrounds, there are over 40 immersive events, one of which is Children of the Evolution, a physical, fun and hard-hitting chat show conducted by children. And two of the hosts join us now. Zara and Flynn, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Can you introduce yourselves? Tell us a bit about yourself, your, uh, you know, your age, who's your favourite teacher? Um, <laughs> Don't tell us the teacher one. Um, my name is R. I absolutely love horse riding. Um, do you? Yes, I do. And, yeah. And how old horses. are you? I am nine years old. Do you well, have okay. a pony? Uh, you know, but my auntie has a horse farm that I go there every summer and ride. Really? Oh. Sounds good. Lucky duck. Can you... Ride, get on the horse by yourself and everything? Yeah, I can tack it up too. Can oh. you? And wow. do you give them a wash afterwards? Yeah, sure, definitely. Oh. Well, I'm Flynn. Um, there's not a lot I do. I like just <laughs> mucking around. Yeah. There's not a lot I do. Well, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm a teenager, so I don't yeah. think it's... <laughs> around the house, a bit grumpy in the mornings. And, really yeah. leaning into that. Please. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah. Embracing it. Yeah. So tell us a bit about this show that you've cooked up. Um, well, it sort of it started sort of last year, sort of. It was me and Manny, who's not here today, but um, we sort of we wanted to make a show and then we heard about this festival uh, and then the theme was sort of... The theme that year was sound and voice and we thought, what better than to sort of try put forward a radio show sort of chat show thing and we got it and then we brought on Zara, Lola and Sunday who are our other cast members and yeah it's been really great ever since then sort of just figuring stuff out and it's been great. Well I think these days adults have been trying to rule the world and I think this show is good because we can be kids and we can just be ourselves, but this time we're trying to rule the show. <laughs> Instead of the adults, you know, I feel like adults are all in every show, but it's good to have, like, children of the evolution, uh, yeah. something different, you know. So there's no adults in your show? No. No, Zero. but the directors are adults. Though. Oh, fair enough. Bit of help, doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and who's, who's your favourite? Do you have a favourite chat show or favourite interviewer? Um, sort of, not really. Don't. What, what about our show? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our show's the best one. Yeah, what kind of shows do you like? What do, you know, if there was a show on TV at the moment that you could get a job on, what would what show would that be? 
I'd probably say like mystery, like like a spy kind of thing, like oh, where yeah. you have to solve clues. Oh, cool. You could be like an investigative journalist, perhaps. Yes. Oh, yeah. That rides a horse. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. What about you? Um, if there was a prank show on TV, I wouldn't mind that. But oh. You'd have to leave the house, though. Yeah, probably. You'd have to get up early and do some stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you want to be an actor? Is that Yes, like? that would that, that'd be pretty Is cool. Is that your dream? Yeah, it's, it's one of the dreams. Who's your favourite actor? Um, I really like Chris Hemsworth because he's Australian and he sort yeah. of reminds me that Australia exists as well, not yeah. just America. For so sure. That's pretty good. Hmm. And uh, so you'll be interviewing other kids in the show? Do yes. You, do, you know who the, yeah. do you know who you'll be interviewing? And you don't know yet? No, no. Um, no, it's sort of we just choose them on the night and see what happens. So cool. it's, it's pretty just going to. All right. Yeah. So let's yeah. pretend you've just chosen me. I'm a kid. I can be a kid. I can act. I can be a kid. You just chose me out of the audience. What kind of questions are you going to ask? Well, we all have topics right. that we want to change in our world called manifestos. Right. And so, like, uh, we all have a topic. My topic is racism. So I'll probably aiming for people from different cultures. Yeah, you probably choose a person of colour and, and I'm very white. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Um, and... <laughs> And um, with Flynn, he would probably pick something like a kid because he's doing the education system. He thinks that the education system is not that good for him. So he'll probably pick some kids. But we're trying to aim for two kids and one adult. Oh, yeah. oh, one adult? Yeah, so there gets to be one adult on the show. Um, oh. we we're trying to lower down adult. the population of adults we're having in the show. So. Yeah. Oh, you're amazing. And Flynn, can you synthesise your manifesto? Um, well, so I, I'm doing the education system um, because I have dyslexia, so that's the education system doesn't really work for me there. So that's why I sort of heard of Alice Miller and I thought that would be a great school for that. And um, I'm sort of just trying to tell people that the education system could use a lot of, you know, work um, to be efficient and good and fun. What would you um, want to change? Um, I definitely would like there to be less homework. Yeah. I think that's sort of... Get rid of all wants. homework, I vote. <laughs> well, I reckon it should be like an option, but... Because if you know some kids want to do homework, oh yeah, sure, Options one in a million. Good. But uh, yeah, <laughs> um, and then there's the I don't know, just making school days shorter, uh, a bit like Finland, because you know they have like Wednesdays off, mm. which sounds good. <laughs> um, do they? I did not know that. Yeah, oh, great. and they like don't that. have to go on Saturdays or Sundays. So weekends no. and Wednesdays, everybody should have that. Yeah. And how how have you both found rehearsals? Uh, really oh. fun. Well, we've been, you know, going over this manifestos and all the um, interviews and stuff. Mm. Do you have any tricks for dealing with nerves? Do you? You both seem so un, so relaxed. Well, nah. Uh, we both done a bit of performing in our life, so okay. I think yeah, just getting used to it now. Anything you do before you go on stage to get yourself in the zone. Mm. Warm ups, you know. Oh, like, what kind of warm ups? Just wiggling about, oh, get your energy out. I like I, it. I have a lucky charm bracelet oh, what is that, that I use. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, what do you do with it? I put it on my wrist whenever I do the shows. Oh, perfect! I love it. All right, last chance. Do you have any questions for us? Um, oh, not really. Oh. Yeah, Zara does. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why would you? Why? Did, who made this dub triple R? Who made it? The people. All the listeners. All the listeners make triple R. So yep. they all thought that they wanted something to listen to every morning? Yeah, pretty much. You I know. think that's good because, like, you can interview different people. Yeah. Just like our show, we're interviewing people to see their opinions about the world adults have made. Oh, <laughs> God damn. Yeah, I mean, it's not so great at the moment. <laughs> Do have a question. Yes. Quick yes. question. What's the worst experience you've had on air? Oh, oh! Well, mm. once we interviewed someone. Am I allowed to talk about someone being drunk? Once we interviewed someone who was, who'd had, who had gone out partying all night long, and they hadn't gone to sleep, oh. and they turned up for their interview, 
and they were they didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And we didn't realise that they weren't making any sense till they were on air and were talking to them. For me, I reckon that was the worst because oh. it was a bit... Uh-oh. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah was that's what I was thinking moment. at the time. Um, I have some advice. Do you want advice? Yes. If, if you're, Will you have questions with you on stage? Yes. Yeah, I think... Don't have a long sort of A4 sheet of paper because if you get nervous, it can shake and people would notice it shaking. Write yeah. it on smaller cards, maybe. We well, are. We're remembering. Yeah. Our oh, sort of, oh, good on no. you. Oh, no. Next yeah. level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why old people shouldn't run the world. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Oh, I'll right. get back in my box. <laughs> <laughs> any Any final thoughts? Uh, no. Not really, <laughs> but just saying that it's really cool to have me here, me and Flynn here. So thank you for having us. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, yeah, thanks, absolute thanks. pleasure. It's been a great experience. Oh, I get the sense that you might be taking our jobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've never done this way. Oh, uh, you nailed it. The Jew West Arts Festival event, Children of the Evolution, is on this Friday. The 22nd of November at 7pm. There's another one Saturday, 23rd of November at 2pm. And Sunday, 24th of November at 2pm. Massive weekend. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. Big. Uh, it's at the Basement Theatre, Footscray Community Arts Centre. Tickets and more info at dewestartsfestival.com.au. And we've been speaking to two of the hosts and future Triple R broadcasters, <laughs> Zara and Flint. Thank you so much for coming in and break a leg. Thank you Thank for you. having us. Yeah. Triple R. John Safran is an award-winning author, broadcaster, comedian and former Triple R breakfaster who spent months cavorting around the globe with sorcerers, Satanists and exorcists for his new five-part podcast series, John Safran vs. The Occult. And the self-described Jew detective joins us now. John, welcome back to the studio. Hey, how are you? Really, really well. Um, <coughs> it, it's common enough to get your fortune told and attempt to communicate with the dead and that sort of stuff, and that classifies as black magic, By doesn't it? By the way, it? that was... Uh... A curse. Like <laughs> I could see she was about to like ask me something hard, hard hitting that was going to yeah. bring me down. Yeah, so I, I think, and she coughed. Just a he warning to all three of you. Only puff piece questions. <laughs> Consider this an infomercial. <laughs> why? Why are you so successful? <laughs> All right. Because- <laughs> well, let's. Okay. So let, let, I'll go as hard as I can. Yes. Um, you've, you know, once again, you've, you're uh, romanticizing the unprovable. You're investigating ancient <laughs> rituals. Uh, why are you so resistant to the magic of reality? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I toured with Richard Dawkins as last year, but as, as the idiot. It wasn't like. The two intellectuals tour. <laughs> it was like the intellectuals tour, and then some guy comes up on and does the Q and A. But he had that argument to me too. He was saying, "Safran, people like you, who have like this sense of wonderment and this yearning for the unknown, that's fine, that's good. But you should be applying it to like looking through a telescope." at the planets and the Milky Way. There's all this unknown, mysterious stuff with science or looking into a microscope. Mm. And I just was like, I don't know what to tell you. It's like I'm into the omen and I, <laughs> I, I never got into Star Trek. <laughs> so I think I blame my parents because they sent me to Sunday school when I was really young. And I think things that happen when you're young, like the horse has bolted. Yep. So you smell foods around the house, for instance, when you're young, just say you're Greek or whatever, and mm. then they're just part of you. And you, and you're, next thing you know, you're a grown up, and that that food, that smell means something to you that it, that other foods don't mean to you. And it's the same like if your parents send you to Sunday school, and you're there with picture stories from the Bible, <laughs> and all this, there's, there's God in the cloud. I remember being really young and walking back from Sunday school, and my head being really messed up, where I was going, okay, because because the, the first panel on this picture stories from the bible on the first page was in the beginning god created whatever i forgot it's it. man <laughs> oh my god. i can't believe i'm the australian religious guy like hey john who's that one that extra, in the beginning god created whatever. Whatever. whatever anyway i remember thinking oh okay so that was the first day but what happened the day? yeah what happened oh, the day right. before that what happened? And I was going, oh, maybe God had parents. Oh, yeah, got it, got it. That's why. And it was like, oh, my God, but how did God's parents get there? And then it was like, I just, it was like, that, that's what was happening to me when I was seven because my parents sent me to school. So that, now, can you blame me as an adult that I'm running around Vanuatu? <laughs> 
you know, with witches and but America with Satanists. That's right. Well, the implications are very real, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Well, I chose real high stakes ones here because, oh yeah, I was kind of confused a bit how there's this cool. No, sorry. Oh, damn! I said cool. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's like rolling into murder. <laughs> no, there's this horrific. The uh, no, I, I found it interesting that there's this uh, like high stakes occult stuff going on today. Where, like for instance, uh, only a couple of years ago in America, these two guys from MS13, which is this El Salvadorian American gang that Donald Trump's always going he on about. He calls them animals. Yeah, he calls them animals, and 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 when they kill. Uh, this, it's such horrific, so ritualistic. They behead people, put them in suitcases and stuff. So Donald Trump gets to use that and weaponize that to say, well, you know, maybe, you know, that's why we can't let people in because mm. they're all going to go and behead people or whatever. Anyway, but them, when uh, these two guys were arrested and it was like, oh, why did you kill the girl? And it's like, oh, she bumped over the satanic shrine in our apartment and... They were so infuriated that they took her to the street and shot. And I was like, what the hell? What, did, mm. what do you mean you banged this satanic shrine or whatever? And then I started Googling about MS-13 plus Satanism. And then it got confusing because there was another MS-13 murder that was also being pinned on the gang members being, uh, you know, inspired by, by Satan. I'm going, what the hell's going on here? And then I read there was, there's like one version of the story of their origin story because they started in the 1980s that the the founding members were like satanists and that's sort of what has kind of rolled through uh, over the years mm. and uh, definitely on like on a veneer they are where like they do the devil's horn stuff when they uh, they they do a prayer to the beast after they kill someone and and all their Tattoos and stuff of devils, but then it's like, are they really Satanists? And and so yeah, I went to America to find out if they were really Satanists or not, and I got conflicting stories. And uh, you move because I'm impartial. You know how you have to get both sides. Oh, that's right. What what is it? What's that thing they say about climate change? Like debate the what's debate or evolution and flat Earth? Explain the teach the controversy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit like that. I'm very impartial. Yeah, audible said, John, you have to be impartial. So I did the uh, 50% they are Satanists, 50% they're not Satanists. Um, and then in Vanuatu, uh, people of Vanuatu are not unfamiliar with people uh, coming over and snooping into their lives. Um, how were you received? Well, maybe yes and no with that because there's so many islands there if you just go on an island they're not necessarily oh no you're kind of right no even on the tiny island i was in there was like an oz care some sort of oz oz care kind of organization there because there i think there'd been either a a hurricane or a cyclone a year earlier yeah so yes no no, that's true but i don't know they're just kind of fine with it i i think there's there's a particular history to vanuatu where at the moment i don't think everyone there particularly has this sort of like animosity towards sort of like white outsiders like like the whole colonization story in Vanuatu is a bit kind of messier than that like for instance at the moment it's about the Chinese and you know setting up infrastructure there so if, if someone was kind of annoyed by outsiders po- possibly mm. it'd be that'd be more top of mind rather than you know some Aussie with his dictaphone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you are, you're exploring the, the friction between well, Western law and custom, is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in, in Vanuatu, you've got the mainstream legal system that's similar to the Australian one where you have courts and, you know. and But then also on, the, on, on islands, you have these, like, island courts and they're, what, what's the word? They're, they're, like, like, the Vanuatu constitution accepts that this thing called custom, a K-A-S... Okay. Anyway, whatever they they accept that it's like valid, and and these courts follow the custom rules and they're run by chiefs, so it's sort of allowed. Mm. But then it becomes like how how like how far can you go in a one of these little custom courts? Because I think ideally people would go, oh, you know, if you're having a little fight over land or something like, or a fight with your neighbour, like that's that's fine to use a custom court. But then in the case I looked into, and this is only ten years ago where a school principal died on this little island I was on and people were just rattled, like, how did he die? And then some mystics uh, pointed the finger at these two guys on the island and said, 
oh, they're witches. They practiced witchcraft and they used witchcraft to kill this principal. So then suddenly these two guys are dragged into this island court and they're found guilty of practicing witchcraft and sentenced to death. And then they tried to escape, but then they got caught and then they were, yeah, they were executed. Mm. And, and so then it's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe those island courts shouldn't be used for putting witches on trial. So that, yeah, that was bizarre to me. That's, that's like 2010. And there was another one in 2014 on another island where on one of these little island courts, two guys were accused of practising witchcraft and put through a little trial and then hung from the rafters of the community hall. Have you spent more time in the presence of murderers or alleged murderers than you ever anticipated? Uh, yeah, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of like a good good conversations. It's a good, you know, it's good... Because everyone... This sounds really... Um, this sound. This is just the truth. So I'm not saying it's good that this is the truth, mm. but uh, just based on my writing, because I've written like one true crime book and I've written maybe, I don't know, whatever, like half a dozen crime stories or whatever. And, and this one also has obviously crime involved. It's like there's no boring murders. Mm. And if you think someone's boring, if you're in a conversation with someone at a party and they're just boring and they're rabbiting on about working at their job at Telstra and how <laughs> Mary all condemned she stole this, blah, 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 blah. And it, it's like if that person was in the circle of a murder... Like, suddenly they'd be super interested. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I go, like, just knocking on doors, like, for some of my stories where it's like, oh, there was a murder in the street. And you, so you just go to the street, you just start knocking on the doors. And as soon as it's, it's like, everyone's fascinating. Mm. Uh, have you so, ever so felt, the, like, in proper danger, though? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, you have. But tell us, tell us about the time that you felt most... Well, like you in, thought you were going to die. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I thought. Maybe I did think. Often it's like practical things. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I've had a case. I was once in the Philippines. I won't go into the details. Of you're what. not allowed to. No, I am allowed to. But I just kind of like I'm trying to um, rebrand myself as normal. So, <laughs> so, so, so I don't want to go into detail. But I actually thought we're, we're going to. Uh, I was like, oh my. Oh my God, we're going to get in trouble. So we sort of left this uh, place, this town in in the Philippines, really quickly. Me and the crew, when really we we're meant to go and have a dinner with our hosts that night, and that just sort of really kind of. So I was like really scared that we we're going to yeah. get in trouble, and then that really upset them, but not upset them because of what I'd done or anything, just because I was rude to the left and stuff like that. So it, there's, there's often like more practical things that kind of make you feel scared. So a little bit in Vanuatu on this island because I was kind of poking around at a murder and people don't like that. That's not true, actually. Lots of people like it. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're on the island. But there's certain people that wouldn't like it. Yes, because, uh, yeah, so for the story on Vanuatu, like, they've got this thing where, uh, the, yeah, these small island courts, they have uh, reconciliation ceremonies. So in the case of this, the two witches or accused witches who were who were killed, their family had a reconciliation ceremony with the guys who killed them. Mm. And it was meant to be... And and once you have this reconciliation ceremony, you're not, like, meant to talk about it at at all. And so the chiefs on the island courts, they go, oh, this is because of the cultural thing and it's, like, it's really good. It's, like, it's all been resolved and no-one's allowed to talk about it again because it just brings up bad memories. But then that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, hang on, what... How, so two guys have been killed, accused of being witches, and no one's allowed to talk about it. Yeah, and and so it's like, to, you know, to what extent are the chiefs like upholding their cultural practice? What, uh, and to what extent is it that they know that they sentence these two guys to death, and they know that could get them in trouble with the mainstream court, mm. and so create this environment on the island where no one can. Uh, you know, yeah. no one can say anything. And just quickly, uh, exorcism has reared its spinning head back into your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is is that – it's such an interesting recurring uh, – <laughs> and, and it's it swaps different cultural milieus as well. Yeah, in, in this case, I was, I, I was surprised. I had this Muslim and she's devout and she's a mental health practitioner in Bankstown and she told me that uh, amongst – uh, if you're like a Muslim psych- psychologist there and there's you know several Muslim psychologists there that 
people will come into you and, and they'll only come into you because they wouldn't go to a non-Muslim psychologist because it's just too culturally kind of jarring. But then, And they'll say that people will be telling them, and, and it's not rare, that it's like, oh, as well as seeing you, I'm seeing a rookie healer. And a, a rookie healer is uh, an exorcist where it's, it's the same story as the Catholics, but you just put on all the Muslim details. So it's a jinn. Uh, goes into your body, so the spirit goes into your body often because someone has cursed you. And there's good gins, just in case there's like some gin nerds out there. <laughs> yes, I know there's good gins. I'm talking about the bad gins. So, so someone curses you, a bad gin goes inside your body, and, you, and you're feeling like your whole life is being screwed around. And then you go to these rookie healers, these exorcists, and they'll help get the this spirit out of you, like the Catholic priests, like try to get the the spirit out of you and exorcism is a spectrum and so, <laughs> so on, on one side you can just go to a sheikh like an who's an expert and he might just pray, say prayers on the quran over you but then it can go uh, you know pe- there's like complaints all in sydney or whatever where you know they start they start hitting you and there's even like like financial stuff where it's like oh suddenly you have to pay Several hundred dollars for the special water and yeah. everything like that. So it's so so yeah. My friend, she was just concerned that, um, and, and because to be Muslim, and she's devout. To be a devout Muslim, you have to believe this is true. So weirdly, this, even though she's a a, a mainstream mental health practitioner, mm. she also actually has to believe it and does believe it. But she just says that it's it's being exploited. Yeah, and, and and she does the same thing because Catholics always say this too about exorcism, where it's how do they justify, like how do they work it out in their mind? And they say, oh no, it's real, but it's really rare. And so often when people are claiming they're possessed, like they just they've just got it wrong, and it's just depression and all that kind of jazz. Bit stressed. That's yeah, right. Well, rare. the podcast John Saffron versus the Occult is available free for a limited time, only on Audible, and we've been speaking. Audible originals. <laughs> okay, and we've been speaking with its creator, John Saffron. Uh, thanks so much for coming. And you don't have to sign up or anything, by the way, because I know this is you know community radio, and they're like it's very skeptical. There, the knives are out. Yeah. It's like, what's this jerk on there? <laughs> Saying, saying the word audible original mm. or whatever. But, you, it's yep, it's free and you don't even have to sign up. You're not a jerk. Triple uh. <laughs> R. Uh, you're listening to The Breakfasters with Daniel Geraldine and Mon filling in for Sarah today because why? Well, Sarah <laughs> rolled her ankle yesterday. Mm. And, not um, in the studio, on her way the, to the studio. On her way in, she had a bit of a slip. She slept in, that separate issue, but she slept in um, and then as she was leaving, was doing a very nice thing for her neighbour because she saw that the gate was open. Yeah. And so she went, I'll, I'll close that gate for them and then rolled her ankle on some uneven ground and anyway, came in, had to go to hospital uh, and I can I just talk about the first aid? Or do you want to talk about no. that, how good my first aid was? Oh, it was outstanding. Thank you. Okay, good. I mean, I, I sourced a box. Did you? Yeah. What box? There was a, because, the, you know, there was advice to keep her, you know, to, to elevate the foot. Yes. And, uh, you know, she requested a different height. Oh, yeah, because the chair was too high. Yeah, yeah. And I was on it. Yeah. Oh. I said, so, because she came in and she said, I don't know what to do. I'm like, we'll put some ice on it, for starters. Good. We'll put some ice on it. And then um, she was like, I don't know how to keep this ice pack. Should, should I take my shoe off? I'm like, absolutely not. You've got to leave your shoe on. Mm, Otherwise, it, yeah, it swells. So you want to keep that swelling down. Leave mm. that shoe on. Put the ice pack on. And then I got I found a bandage and used that to attach the ice. Not, not too tight. Mm. I know my first aid. Yeah. Very good. Oh, a picture Thank of you. poise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and now the medical advice is that she has to go home. Yeah, so she went and they said it's a very bad sprain and she has to keep her um, keep it elevated mm. for 48 hours. So Mon is here because Sarah Smith has to – so Sarah Smith can keep her feet up. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's maybe three. You, three times yeah. you've dropped it? Yeah, okay. Three times now. I said that it would maybe be five, so <laughs> – I've got a couple left in the bank. Um, so Sarah's called in sick today. Um, I don't think she's called in sick. You know, it's a, she isn't. She's called in sick, she's just called not in today. Sick. She yeah. called in yesterday for today. 
calling yesterday for today. So um, I'm interested to know about times that you've called in sick. Was it, did you really, were you really sick? Let's talk about the times that you weren't really sick. <laughs> this is not insinuating that Sarah's not sick. She, <laughs> I mean, she's putting her feet up, but that's full. <laughs> um, but I used to, because this is, I'm just thinking about, you know, going back when hospitality days, like your first jobs mm. and stuff. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, Mon, you were saying earlier that you would just be, I don't know, do you want to talk about that? When you would just be hungover? I'll well, I, I, I was going to say that I generally don't call in sick. I'm an, I'm an adult now and yeah. like even in hospital, you kind of just grit your teeth. But when I first, my first job was at Priceline um, and I know when I first started going out and drinking mm. when I was about 16, like when I first got a hangover, I was like, oh, well, I, this, I simply cannot work. <laughs> <laughs> and call, we'd just call in sick and we'd be like, I've been vomiting all morning. Um, I'm so sorry. And they're like, you're due here in 40 minutes. Like just, but just was like, well, what, what else am I going to yeah, do? Well, That's terrible. Isn't it? Yeah. I used to, um, I'd do a bit more planning. Mm. I'd be a bit more, because I I struggled to call in sick at times because I'm always thinking, like, who's going to, and it's back to that hospitality days of who's going to cover my shift? Like, it, and because every time you would, even if you would, you know, regardless if you were sick or not, if you were genuinely sick, you'd call up and go, I, I can't work. And they'd be like, well, who are we going to get in? Mm. Who's going to do your job? I'm like, I don't Mm. Or you have, have to care? find someone yeah. sometimes. You you oh, find someone yes. to replace you. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah. But I – so it was just that kind of mentality of, you know, I'd be like – I'd have pneumonia and be like, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I can't come in. So – and so there were, I'd, there'd be a bit more forward planning mm, mm. when I knew that I was going to go out. or And if not, then I'd always use the um, I wasn't sick – Someone else was having a traumatic situation. Carers leave. Yeah. Mm. So I'd have to be like, I'm so sorry. Like my friend is not what I'd have to, you know, I'd have to take someone else to hospital mm. or someone else is, you know, someone else has had someone that's died yeah. or something like that, something traumatic. So then when I came in the next day and they're like, oh, you've recovered well. Mm. I'd never oh, got that. Oh, that was the rationale. Like, I, I was busy being a hero. Is there something ethically wrong with that? Yeah. Would you like to complain <laughs> about exactly. my I can't status? get a doctor's certificate for that. Mm. Yes, all of that, all of that. But, I mean, I, I as you know, like I, I come into work – I've ne- I've never I don't remember the last time I had a sick day. I think the last time I called in sick for anywhere, Stan Zamanik was on television. Oh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I had the, the car run over my foot and just whoops, still yeah. went into work. Oh, but just yeah. took beers. No, no, bad. Can you take tins of gin and tonic in? And- yeah, yeah. That's what he did. That's a towel ran over his foot and he just sat in the corner sinking tinnies of G&T to self-medicate. I'll be fine, guys. Don't worry about me. Uh, But, you know, growing up, if I – because Dad would never allow his kids to be home sick. It was just not a home. Yeah. So – and he was a primary school teacher and the school was nearby. So if he ever came home during a lunch break, we all had to hide. Oh yeah, so he didn't know that we were home sick. How big was your house? If we were super sick, well, we would be in our bedrooms, and there'd be no reason to go there. And I remember (laughs) just pulling the blanket over, being very still, hoping Dad didn't notice. (laughs) And did it work? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right now is the first time he's finding out about it. Wow. Mm. What 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 has been a time that you've called in sick? How sick have you gotten? To make you go, oh, I can't come in. Oh, I mean, I've I've turned up. You, you can't even remember, can no, you? No, I oh. can't. I've I've had broken feet turning up. I, I I don't know. I mean, there's usually deadlines. I remember there was, you know, I've worked over, you know, Easter Sunday. You know, wow. Like you just, I, I mean, I'm not arguing that uh, it's a good thing. No, because you've probably spread a lot of disease. <laughs> no, that's, that's yeah. exactly right. But I mean, it's. I just associate sickness with, you know, even Sashi, is it Sally Jesse Raphael? Yes. Oh, yes. Back, yeah, back in the old TV. Yeah. yeah, right. Or Ricky Lee. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, you know, Judge Judy, I'd love it. Yeah, I used to watch a lot of Days of Our Lives with my mum. Yeah. But you, what does that tell you? Like, as soon as school ended, I stopped getting sick during, you know, like, um, you know, I just obviously didn't, well, it was easy to take it off. Yeah. Well, yeah, 
if you took the day off, you didn't get paid. That's why. Yeah, that's well, exactly. Right. So that's a big incentive. Mm. I, I didn't really, apart from those Priceline days with a hangover, I generally tried to not ever take a sick day and thought it was, you know, a bad thing to do. Yeah. And then I met my partner, and he's all about it. Not anymore as much. But when we, we both lived in Sydney for a while, and um, there'd be times we were like, "Do you want?" To, and we'll take joint sickies. And there's oh. a beauty in that. And then we'll just go to the beach. What a scam. See? What an absolute I had scam. A, I knew a guy once, though, that was just like, of course, you've got, I've, you've got five days sick leave. It's yeah. in your contract. Why, yeah. You yeah. don't get them back. Exactly. Yeah. When you leave, they don't accrue. Yeah. yeah. Just take them. You get to, you know, the last week of the contract. I'm taking five days off. Yeah. Were you ever afraid of getting busted? Um, A bit. But my... My office wasn't near the beach. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just like a good, you know, it was, and also like you can take mental health days. I often wonder with that. And you can't really get a certificate for that. If you're feeling really low, you can't come yeah. to the office. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got five days without a certificate in your contract. Use them. Yeah. Because there was, remember, there was the anniversary of thunderstorm asthma. Yes. And a friend of mine was on the news because he suffered from it. So he was Vox popped. Oh. And I'm like, if you're like on the TV, for being ah. sick, oh, that buys you like another couple of days. Yeah. I was so hey. sick, I was on the news. <laughs> <laughs> Triple R. Uh, we're just talking about um, chucking sickies. Mm. Oh. <laughs> also, but also, we should um, say that, yes, absolutely, if you if you are genuinely sick, take, take the day off because no one else wants your no. dirty germs. Um, Dad was listening. And, <laughs> this is uh, so great. And he, he said, you're grounded. <laughs> I love that because you are, aren't you? Because you've still got that control. <laughs> exactly. But um, my sister also got in touch to remind me of something where he would come home and touch the back of the TV to see if it was warm. <gasps> oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. This TV's been on. Yeah, and if, you, if you're well enough to watch telly, you're well enough to learn. Exactly. There's someone else that sent a text in. Um, this is a sick day fail. Oh, no, hang on. I haven't read this one. I'll read it out now. Should I? Yeah. Yeah. Sick day fell. About 20 years ago, I was 19 years old, working as a nursing aide, called in sick after a big night at the tote the <laughs> night before, needed a medical certificate in order to get paid, went to the doctor's faking stomach pain, which... Oh, no. Oh, God, it's fallen away. Uh... No, I'll say it out loud. Okay. Resulted in... Because in, it's medical. Yes. yes. Resulted in an anal probe querying appendicitis. <laughs> Should have gone to work. <laughs> I just I had to read that out because the follow up text was but yes, I hope this is the, the brain fast text line. I'm like, nah mate. Just this is your some boss. Rando. You've made someone stranger's day. Triple R on FM digital online via the app. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.